You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. Okay, we're going to uh, begin something new this evening. We're going to look at a book in the New Testament called 2 Corinthians, and that's the title there, Being the Church in 21st Century Scotland. Um, I think it is only fair to say that the church is in a pretty dreadful state, and there are a lot of Christians who are very confused about the church. How do we do church? What is the church? How is it relevant to today's culture? And, of course, to many non-Christians, and you might be one of them, you, you say, so what? what? The church has no relevance. We are, after all, modern people, and we don't need the superstitions of our forefathers. But I want to argue that the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is as relevant today as it was in the time of the Roman Empire when 2 Corinthians was written, and <clears throat> as it was in the time of the 16th century when the church was reformed and revived, or 19th century revivals in Scotland, or <clears throat> any time. I think one of the difficulties is that the many Christians agree and look at ways to make the church more relevant and effective in contemporary society. And that's great to have some more light. Thank you. Um, I think there's a lot of analyzing, talking, conferences, strategies, and programs. Um, and I'm not saying any of that is wrong, but I want us to go to Second Corinthians and to be amazed about how a letter that was written to a church in first century Greece is one that applies to us in 21st century Dundee. This letter is the Word of God. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And as the Spirit takes the Word and applies it, we'll see that it really gets to the heart of the matter. Now, to help us do that, we need to have some understanding of the context, both our context and the context of the culture this was written, written to originally. And I'll be attempting to do that as we go through this book. But first of all, I need to begin by trying to show why 1st century Corinth, Achaia, Greece is similar to 21st century Dundee, Tayside, uh, Scotland. And just to help you with this evening, because there's quite a lot of information, I produced a, a wee uh, notice sheet. It has questions on it as well. So it's the kind of thing you can use in your fellowship groups if you want, or uh, yourself, just to help you remember. And if you didn't get one of those, uh, Hugh has them there at the door. So if anyone needs one, uh, put your hand up, he'll give it to you. And can I ask also to help you, I want to show you a map uh, up there of kind of Greece, sort of. Um, and the bit that we're looking at, you can see as you go, if you know where Israel is, you go across, and this is Paul's third missionary, second missionary journey. And you go across, when you see where he goes, the first bit across the sea there, and uh, that's Athens, and then Corinth is heading towards Italy up there. You can just see it on there. So I thought the help, to help us a little bit as well, let me give you just a little bit of, of background in, in terms of Corinth. It was a Roman colony for over 100 years. 
It had a large population. It was larger than Athens. It was the capital of this area called Achaia. <coughs> it uh, was the fourth largest city in the Roman Empire behind Rome. First, of course, Alexandria in Egypt and Antioch in Syria. It was a center of trade because if you were coming from Italy and you wanted to go to Athens or on to what we now call Turkey, then very often you would go uh, that way. It was a, a multicultural place. There were Greeks, Western Europeans, Syrians, Asians, Egyptians, and Jews in the population. It was well known for its sports, the Isthmian Games, as important as the Olympics were held there. It had two ports, Lechion and Senchria, and uh, Romans 16 verse 1 lets us know that there was a church in Senchria because it commends, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church in Senchria. In terms of religion, it, there were many gods, but it was notable most of all for the worship of the Greek goddess Aphrodite. Uh, it was also a place that was strongly linked with sexual immorality. Um, to Corinthianize meant, in, in that culture, it meant to commit adultery. So, it's a society that's highly commercialized and industrialized. It's multicultural, religious, and obsessed with sport and sex. That's Scotland, really, in many ways. Now, I want to say something about the church in Corinth. Paul came to it, and we're pretty certain the year is AD 50, about 15 years after the death of Christ, just over the, that. If you uh, go to Acts 18, or I might even have it there, yes, I do. <coughs> we read the, the brief account of how that happened. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontius, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he worked in the synagogue, uh, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. But when the Jews opposed him and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am cleared of my responsibility. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshipper of Rome. If there's uh, any Latin speakers present, you can correct me on my Latin pronunciation as well. Uh, Crispus, the synagogue ruler, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard him believed and were baptized. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision, do not be afraid, keep on speaking, do not be silent, for I am with you, and <clears throat> I have many people in this city. Sorry, no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. It's just a great way to begin a church. You go, you teach the Bible, you go to the synagogue, you get turfed out, but the synagogue ruler and his family come to believe. You, you, Paul initially was working with uh, a couple of Jews who'd been thrown out of Rome and brought them the word of God, and they formed the basis of the church in Corinth. What I like, and, and I love that verse that you see up there, uh, don't be afraid, 
I am with you. No one's going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. I was thinking of that at our fellowship group on Wednesday night because looking around our room, and we were sitting in the room and the room was full and it was just a lovely feeling to think this is not the only house tonight or this week in this city where ordinary sane people, most of us, are, were sitting talking about Jesus, talking about God's Word, and sharing together. And that was going on in different homes. It's going on connected with different churches. And I think it's really important for us to understand we don't know all the believers that are in Dundee or the surrounding area, but the Lord does. And the Lord has many people in this city. I think also there's a predictive element in what is being said here, because at that point, Those people, most of those people, were not believers yet. Now, what does that mean? It means that God knew that there were many people who were going to believe. And he was really saying to Paul, just don't be frightened, don't be afraid. Keep speaking, don't be silent. The odds against you may appear absolutely overwhelming. You are a tiny, tiny group. But I have many people in this city And I think that carries the idea of there are many people who through my word I am going to save. And for me, it's really important in Dundee that we see that just now, that we're not this kind of defensive church. We're about protecting ourselves and making sure nobody does us harm and so on. We're, We're actually not aggressive, but we're actually outward going, saying, well, God has many people yet. Let's find them. Let's find who these people are. And you might even be here this evening. You might even have come. You say, well, what am I doing here? Well, God brought you. And it's amazing that God invites you to become one of his people. Now, he stayed on. Paul stayed on for 18 months. And a man called Apollos then took over. Uh, Peter, we know, was also in Corinth, 1 Corinthians 1.12. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. That's Peter. Still another, I follow Christ, indicating that the people there were aware of and I think had met these different people. He wrote them a letter after he left. Um, this is a letter that's before 1 Corinthians. You read 1 Corinthians 5, 9, it says, I have written you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. So, Paul actually wrote, before 1 Corinthians, which we have, he wrote a letter to them before that. He'd left. Many people had become Christians. The church was growing and and developing. And Paul wrote a letter concerning a very difficult situation. And that situation was sexual immorality, incest. And the church was approving of it. 1 Corinthians 5.1, it is actually reported, there is sexual immorality among you. And of a kind that does not occur even among pagans, a man has his father's wife, and you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have been filled with grief and put out your fellowship, the man who did this? He's talking about a situation in a church. Remember, this is a church in a culture which is very sexually confused. People don't know what way you're supposed to behave or not. And here was somebody who was sleeping with his mother, his stepmother, and the church was actually quite proud of how tolerant they were. And Paul says, no, this is, whoa, you are, you are so out of line with this. And 1 Corinthians deals with that. And again, 
you don't really surely need to be told the application that exists in our culture. We live in a culture which is increasingly sexually confused. I think so many of our teenagers are sexually confused in a way that's different from previous years because they've not been taught the context, the biblical context, in which God says that sexual relations ought to take place. And so, uh, it's no wonder, I mean, I don't blame the teenagers, but it's no wonder that people are very, very, very confused. How, how should we behave? What should we do? Is it right? Um, I heard on the radio this morning, for example, uh, uh, a vicar saying that, hey, homosexuality is not a moral issue, but it is a moral issue. And, you know, sexual promiscuity is a moral issue. Sex before marriage, and so on. There's so many different things. And that, that's not unique. That's not new in culture. That's where Corinth was at. Paul then says uh, that he planned to come to visit them. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 5, after I go through Macedonia, I'll come to you, for I'll be going through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay with you a while, even spend the winter, so you can help me on my journey. I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits, but I will stay on at Ephesus till Pentecost, because a great door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many who oppose me. He, he wanted to go on to um, Spain as well. But he said, I'm, I'm coming. I'm going to come and visit you. But then it all went wrong. And this is how it went wrong. Timothy went to visit and discovered that things in the Corinthian church were really bad. They had not accepted Paul's letter. And 1 Corinthians, they hadn't really accepted either. And there was at least one individual in the church who was viciously and personally attacking Paul. So after, so Paul uh, then went and retreated to Ephesus, uh, across in what we now call Turkey. And from there, he wrote a third letter, which we don't have. It's called the severe letter. Um, He himself uh, describes how severe he was with them. And so when we get to this letter, this is, we call it 2 Corinthians, but it's actually his fourth letter. He wrote a letter, first of all, uh, about sexual immorality in the context, in, in the culture. He then wrote a letter to them, 1 Corinthians, that we have. He then wrote the severe letter that we don't have, and he wrote this letter, which we call 2 Corinthians. Um, this is actually split into two parts. After meeting Titus, and this, this letter is more encouraging, things have improved since the severe letter, it worked. And uh, he writes chapters 1 to 9 of 2 Corinthians, and then after he gets a further report about false apostles, he writes uh, chapters 10 to 13 of 2 uh, Corinthians. Paul, Acts 20, verses 2 to 3, says that he did make a visit, third visit to them, And in the winter of the years 56 to 57, and we can be very precise about that, he stayed in someone in the house of the synagogue ruler, Gaius. And while there, he wrote Romans. Uh, Romans 1, by the way, is a perfect description of what's happening in Scotland today, uh, what happens when a society leaves God out of its reckoning. Romans 15 
Now, however, I'm on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the saints there for Macedonia and Ikea. Uh, Ikea? No. (laughs) Were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings. They owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. So after I have completed this task and have made sure that they've received this fruit, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. So Paul stayed in Corinth for that winter. Uh, he was busy. He wrote Romans, he wrote Galatians, and he wrote First and Second Thessalonians. In this actual letter itself, he, uh, he is writing to answer questions. People were asking him questions. They were saying uh, some people from Chloe's household, someone called Chloe's household, had come and there were questions that the church had. He had to deal with personal criticisms, with questions of ministry, finance, death, sickness, and plans for the future. In 1 Corinthians, he'd already dealt with questions of marriage, food offered to idols, spiritual gifts, finance, incest, civil litigation, immorality, denial of the resurrection, and the role of women. So there's lots of questions, and we in the church today, we have lots of questions. How do we do this? How do we (coughs) live as the church? What's the right way for us to organize things and to behave and to treat one another? And that's why I think this this letter, 2 Corinthians, is so uh, important for us, because it's God saying to us, I've got answers to your questions, and they're here in my word. Incidentally, this letter is Paul's most autobiographical. He doesn't often say a great deal about himself, but in this letter, he does. He opens up his heart in particular ways, as we will see. Okay, I'm going to, we're going to go on and look at um, the first, the introduction, the first two verses. That's the background and the context, but I want us to sing a song uh, about God's church, Psalm 122. Now, if you can turn with me to 2 Corinthians, it's obviously after 1 Corinthians, it's on page 1158 of the Church Bible, and I want to read the first two verses. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God in Corinth, together with all the saints throughout here, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And all I want to do is just take from this the most basic structure of the most basic question, which is what actually is the church? What are we trying to be? What does that mean? I, I reckon if, if I did, if I went around everyone and took a poll, different people would have different ideas. But I think here we're taught there are four things. The first is that God's church is called. <coughs> the church is something that's called into being by God. It's not a result of human planning. It's not a result of societal changes. It's not a result of political power plays. Maybe actually you can help me with this. Ecclesia. I've always wanted to know, how do you pronounce that word? Ecclesia. Okay, right. Remember that. So when you guys, any of you guys go with preaching or anything like that, or you're going somewhere, you'll be going, Ecclesia. And we know that because we have Greeks in our church. So, Ecclesia. See, I see, I would go Ecclesia, but no, that's wrong, Ecclesia. I will try and remember. In fact, let me just put a wee accent here so that, so that I can remember. The Ecclesia in the 
city-state of Corinth was the gathered assembly, the community. So you would have this, this town, this community, and the people would gather together, usually men, uh, and it would be, uh, they would decide policy. They would decide what would happen. Would they go to war with Athens or not? Would they, how would they do things? Well, the ecclesia is, that is a word that was taken over by Paul and taken over by the Christian church to describe the Christian community. And it's what we are called to be because the idea was being called out of something and called into something. <coughs> the church is called out. Paul himself was called out of his previous lifestyle, persecuting the church. Acts 9 verses 1 to 9, you can read the story there. 1 Corinthians 15, he explains it again. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born, for I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Paul says, I was called to be an apostle. I didn't decide to be an apostle. God called me to be an apostle by the will of God. An apostle, by the way, was somebody who had seen the risen Lord and someone who had been entrusted with the gospel. I've given you two references on the sheet there. Paul himself is writing to the saints, the church of God in Corinth, together with all the saints. Saints is just a word for holy. He's writing to people who are holy people, who've been set apart by God. And that's one thing that we need to remember. We as the church are called out of our society, out of our previous way of life, out of the standards, morals, and idols of our society. Now, we weren't called, and Paul wasn't called, and he wasn't telling the Corinthians, get out of Corinth. He wasn't saying, move somewhere, move up into Macedonia, go and find yourself a deserted island and become this community that, that you're separate from everybody. He's saying, you're going to live in Corinth, you're going to live in this filthy city, you're going to live in it with all its immorality and idolatry and so on, but you are not going to live like that. You are going to be different. And God says exactly the same to us. You will go to work tomorrow, you will walk the same streets as everyone else, you go to the same shops, you will travel on the same buses and so on but you are called out of the values and the lifestyle and everything that is anti-God within our culture. And there's a big problem, I think, in the churches. So many of us, so many churches are trying to say, how can we be like the culture? How can we be so that we can win people? And it's such a facetious argument because the whole point is this. We want to win people to call them out. You can't call them out if you're saying come into something that's the same. It's different. It's different. I'm not ashamed to say the church is different. We have different standards, different values. And by the way, that's one of the key things that's important in our culture. Scotland is no longer a Christian nation, if it ever was. But it certainly is no longer a Christian nation. So do not be surprised if Dundee City Council, if the Scottish government <coughs> or the British government or the European Union put forward legislation which goes against the Word of God. Why are you surprised? Not Christians, but we are. And we have to live differently. We're called to something as well. Paul was called to spread the gospel. 1 Timothy 1.12, he appointed me to service. Galatians 1.1, I was sent from God. 
We are not apostles like Paul, but we are sent from God. And that makes a huge difference as to how we perceive ourselves as a church. We're not here to maintain a social group. We're not here to maintain a denomination. We are sent from God for a purpose. We are his messengers. God says, I have many people in this city. And we are both to be those people and to find those people. And we are messengers of good news. We are, as Jesus says, in Dundee, but not of Dundee. In Scotland, but not of Scotland. The point is here simply that God's will determines our service and function in the church. And that's why the church should not be asking, what does the society want so that we can survive in this society? The church should be asking, what does God want? But the trouble is that so many in the church in Scotland have lost confidence that we can know what God wants, and so we just make it up as we go along. Um, There's a presbytery in Glasgow that... I'm just amazed. They had a vote on whether they should worship God as Trinity exclusively or not. In other words, could they go with other things? And the motion that said they should won by 83 to 80. So there are 80 people who were ministers or elders in the church who thought, well, no, it's not that important that God is Trinity. And you think, how have we got to this? What happened to us? I think the alternative is something I read in a magazine called Table Talk this week, which says this, God's word creates the church, not detached Christians. It creates a group of believers who are covenantly united in one Lord, faith, baptism, and remission of sins. God's word actually creates local churches. It unites you and me to other Christians. And the local church is the place on planet earth where we demonstrate and practice our word-centered unity. So we are called. And we have to have in the church in Scotland, in the church in Dundee, in this particular expression, this local congregation here, St. Peter's, we have to have that sense of calling. But then God's church is a called community. To say, I like alliteration. (coughs) Why do we say that? He speaks of Timothy, our brother. This is from Paul and Timothy, our brother. That word, brother, for Paul is a really important word from his own conversion. Acts 9, verse 17. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ananias would have been terrified of Saul. Saul was out to kill people like Ananias. And God tells Ananias, I want you to go to Saul, and I want you to pray with him. He's gone blind. I want you to heal him. And Ananias, no, this man persecutes Christians. And God says, go, because he's my chosen instrument to go to the Gentiles, to go to the Corinthians and the Romans and others. And Ananias believes God, and he goes. And I love this. He says, brother Saul, a man who was his bitter enemy, who would want to kill him, he says, brother Saul. That's the kind of community that we are to be. We are not just assemblies of people who like religion. We're not just people who who come along. That's why, for example, you're a student here and you come along to the church. You might come in the morning. You might come in the evening. You might come twice. Coming to church is not enough. It's not enough. You can come and hear God's word. That's fine. But being the church is the important thing. 
You, you need people who are your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's why he says here, all the saints. The church is God's possession, God's creation, God's family. I love, by the way, Paul and Timothy here, the differences between the two of them. Paul had his Damascus Road conversion, very dramatic. Timothy learned the faith from his mother and grandfather, and from Paul, grandmother rather, mother and grandmother, and from Paul who calls him his son. 1 Timothy 1.5, I've been reminded of your sincere faith, which first li- lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you also. You'll notice this, if the church is a family, and if you've got that community, that, that real community, then the church is not perfect. Uh, There are those of us who kind of hop around all over the place, going to different churches, trying to find the perfect church. It never happens. Why? Because we're not perfect. We are sinful people. Calvin says it should always be noted that Paul recognizes the existence of the church, even when there's so much wrong with it. A church has, has within it the true marks of religion can be recognized in spite of the faults of its individual members. And so Paul here <coughs> mentions not just Corinth, but also the surrounding area, and I've already forgotten how to pronounce it, Ikea, I'm going to call it from now on, um, includes Phoebe, Damaris, and Dineosius the Areopagite. And I think it's our, we need to be, as a church again, if we're going to be the church of Jesus Christ, we have to recognize it's not one particular congregation, but all God's people in this area. Uh, the people, many people who we have different contact with. So it's a community. It's, that's what the church is called to be. And we need to think about how we are uh, to be community. God's church is a called charismatic community. You'll notice Paul's prayer, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. These are gifts of God. Charismata, is what they are called. Charismatic is not a denominational label. It's not a label for people who speak in tongues and jump up and down and wave their hands as though they were fixing light bulbs. That is not what charismatic means. Some people will identify. It's like saying, well, I'm Presbyterian. What does that mean? You know, um, Maria said, we're free, not Presbyterian. That's interesting. Um, other, someone might say, you know, we're the frozen chosen. And they say, well, I'm charismatic and I'm very joyful. And no, charismatic in the biblical sense just simply means gifts of grace. And the church has to be charismatic. we'll, We'll see different gifts as we go through this letter, but two that are mentioned here, grace and peace. And I love these. The the grace one is really God's care and help. Grace is forgiveness and help and strength. It's from the Old Testament word meaning to bend or stoop. And Jesus stoops down in His grace to help us and to lift us. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, Paul says later on in this, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, so that you through His poverty might become rich. Grace always matches our need. Do you know this? I've met Christians who've grown up in evangelical churches, Bible-believing churches, and yet who don't really know about grace. Now, that is amazing. But we, we've, we've, we're obsessed with correct doctrine, and we don't know the doctrine of grace, and we don't experience God's grace. 
If we are to be the church in 21st century Scotland, the church in 21st century Dundee, we have to be a church that is filled with grace, that we receive grace and we pass on grace. And peace. The objective peace that comes through Christ. I'll put it up there. I'm not going to read it all, but Ephesians 2, 13 to 22. The whole purpose that Christ came was to bring people who were far off, bring them together and to unite them in peace. And that peace with God that we receive from Jesus means we then have peace with one another and peace within ourselves. The peace which passes all understanding, guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It's a sense of well-being, freedom from anxiety, and a, a, a daily renewal. And we have to be, we want to be a church that is filled with the charismatic gifts of grace, the fruit of the Spirit, the gifts that God gives as well. We, we, without the Holy Spirit, we're dead as a church. We cannot be a community. And then there's one other thing that I'm going to take from these verses, and that is a cold, charismatic, Christ-centered community. Grace and peace to you from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. The amazing thing about Paul is you can't stop him speaking about Jesus. Uh, again, just to show you the state that we're getting into in the church and our, our culture overall. I watched a program where a guy who said he was a minister of the church said he was a minister who didn't believe in God. I read an article this week about a group of atheists starting up a church in London because they want the community. And a, a, a Christian writing about it saying it was wonderful, they have a lot to teach us. And I'm going, no, they've got nothing to teach us about being the church. If you're thinking the church is just a gathering of people who kind of like one another and get on with one another and tell each other wee stories and take a collection... If that's really what it is, sing a few songs. You're as well going to the pub. That's not what the church is. A church without Jesus is just unbelievably dumb. The church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus as the chief cornerstone. Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus is the purpose of the church. Jesus is the reason of the church. The only reason we meet here is because of, because of Jesus. The only way we can get on is because of Jesus. The only way we can share the good news is because of Jesus. Without Jesus, there is no good news. Jesus is our reason. We are called to be his church. And we do have to be Christ-centered. And when the deacons and uh, diaconal assistants meet the deacon's courts on Thursday, you need to remember that. You need to remember it's Christ's church, not yours. I need to remember as pastor of this church, I'm not the pastor. Christ is the head of the church. The elders need to remember that. And all of us need to remember this. It's not about you. It is about Jesus. And if you want an organization or a club or something that's going to be all about you, then go somewhere else. Because this isn't it. This is not where that happens. If you are prepared to focus on Jesus Christ, ironically, you will be more loved, or paradoxically, you will be more loved and more free than you would ever be if you went to a place that you thought was just about you. It is an enormous relief to know that this church is not about me and doesn't exist for me. It exists 
for Jesus Christ, and I am very happy to be part of that. So, I, I just say this very, very simply, very straightforward. Do you want to belong to this church? Do you want God to be your Father, providing you with grace and peace? I think He, he, he invites and He offers. I mean, I think it is, it's tremendous that we have this as a fellowship of people. Our, uh, we were connected with a church in Haren, the Freigemach Church. Sorry for to our Dutch friends for the pronunciation. Freigemach Church. Um, in uh, the north of the Netherlands. And they gave us a gift a number of years ago. We've still got it somewhere. Somewhere. I can't remember where it is just now. And it's, uh, uh, it's kind of very Dutch and arty because they're, they're like that. And it's great. Brilliant. And it's, got, uh, it's a figure. It's three figures joined together and they're in a kind of huddle. Looks like they're in a huddle. And you look and say, well, what is, what's all that about? You know, what are they trying to tell us? But it's very interesting if you look at it. It's not a holy huddle, kind of like you see when Celtic play or they do the kind of huddle together, they're all inward looking. They're linked together, but they're looking outwards. And I think that's just a great image, that we're linked together, we're united together, but we're looking outwards. We're not looking at each other's faults, we're not obsessing with each other, we're not turning our back on the world. What we're doing is we're standing together, united together, but we're looking out and we're saying to people, come in, come, come and join us, come, come. You're, you're so, so, so welcome. We are going with the invitation of, of revelation. Come, come and take part in the marriage feast of the Lamb. Come and, and if you're thirsty and drink, come if you're hungry and eat. That's what it, for me, and what this passage is teaching, and I'm certain this is the case, that's what it is to be the church of God in Scotland today, that we are absolutely centered on Jesus Christ. We are absolutely faithful to his word. We're not going to try and work our way around it. We are prepared to be completely radical and revolutionary, that when our culture says, jump this way, and we hear Jesus saying, no, go this way, we say to our culture, go. We're not going with you. We're not going that way. You can do to us what you want. We're not doing that. We're going to live differently we're going to follow Jesus. We're going to live with grace and peace and love. We're going to work together. We're going to invite. We're not going to be exclusive in the sense of excluding people. We're going to be inclusive, inviting people to Jesus Christ. And I think, I've no doubt at all, that as we do that as a church, God will pour out His Spirit and God will bless and we will see some amazing things happening. So for me, it's time for us to stop playing at being church and all the kind of denominational stuff that goes on and all the church politics. And we just get this idea of being God's people in the midst of a corrupt and twisted society, not as people who are superior thinking that we're not corrupt and twisted because we are, but knowing that we've been saved by God's grace. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Lord, thank you for your word. Bless it to us. Help us to apply it and grant, O God, that you would renew and revive your church in this land, that you would renew and revive your church in this city, 
and that you would renew and revive your church in this place, that we would be a congregation of your people called, committed to one another, committed to you, a community of your people, charismatic, filled with the gifts of grace and centered on Jesus Christ, for we ask it in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.